I want to talk to you this morning. I'm going to continue this Jesus is theme in this series series and uh, sermon series. And what I want to talk to you about today is I want to call it Jesus is a rule breaker. I know there are some rule breakers in the house. We just uh, feel like, you know, if there's a rule there, you want to try to find a way to get around it. But Jesus was a rule breaker. What does that mean? Well, sometimes life feels like it's a marathon where we just, uh, we're constantly in the grind. It's just never ending, always working around obstacles and challenges and difficulties, trying to get to that finish line. Well, I read something here uh, recently that I'd never heard of before, that in New York City on December 28th every year, there is a good riddance day. Good riddance day in this event downtown Times Square where people come and they write down things on a piece of paper. Uh, there's a computerized version of it. You can write down things that you're wanting to say good riddance to over last year. And then you work through this obstacle course symbolizing uh, life's obstacles. And you cross this finish line with your own little personal cheering section. And you're able to say good riddance to the things. Well, I just, you know, I read that and I thought, we probably need a few good riddance days scattered throughout the year. Can I get an amen? Maybe somebody needs a good riddance day today, you know, so we're just going to call it good riddance day. Uh, it's not December 28th, but we're going to do it today. We're going to leave some things in the past uh, because what I have discovered is you can't live in the past. You can't dwell on the past. You can only use the past as a way to learn the lessons to be able to make the future better. The real danger is when we choose to live in the past and we just constantly, we make that our home address. We stay there or we just choose to visit it way too often. Listen, everything that God has for you, his plan for you, it's moving forward, not looking backwards. Everything that God, his, the best days really are ahead of you. Even Paul told us this in Philippians 3. Verse 13, he said, brethren, uh, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. I forget those things and I reach forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. That's got to be our motto in life. Leaving the things behind, pressing toward what's ahead. And as we continue this uh, sermon series, this thought of Jesus is, what I want to do is I want to take this moment in a life of Jesus, uh, where in the life of Jesus, where he encounters this woman who has a troubled past. And his encounter with her is to help her get free from the past so she can step into what God has for in the future. And it's almost as if God had this appointment set up for Jesus and this woman. We're going to start reading in John chapter four. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones, pull it out. John chapter four, Scriptures will be on the screen as well. And let's start reading with verse number one. John 4, verse number one. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining, baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, Jesus, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea, went back once more to Galilee. Look at verse four. Now he had to go through Samaria. He had to. Everybody say had to. He had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, uh, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews, 
did not associate with Samaritans. Listen, if you're here today and you've got a troubled past, God's plan for you is to be able to break free from the past, to be able to step in to all that God has for you. Jesus breaks rules to break us free from our past. That's why he breaks rules. So how do we step into that? How do we break free from the past? Well, we have to do the, the, Jesus gives us the strength, but you have to make the decision, first of all, to let go of the past. You got to decide to let go. Some of it just hanging on way too strong. You got to choose to let go of the past. And I know it may be hard without knowing cultural background to see how Jesus is breaking some major rules, tearing down some of these cultural barriers. But what rules did Jesus break? I want to share with you three real quickly of rules that he broke in order to help us let go of the past. One is an ethnic barrier, the ethnic barrier. In 931 BC, uh, Israel became a divided country. They uh, entered into what was like a civil war. And 10 of the original 12 tribes of Israel did not want to follow Rehoboam, the son of Solomon's leadership. So they kind of defected in the, the in Israel separated. Ten tribes which were considered the northern considered the northern kingdom, and two tribes were considered the southern kingdom. That was Judah, the tribes of Judah. So you had Israel and Judah. Uh, well, th- th- this this became a point of prejudice between these two. They they really didn't like each other, mainly because in uh, 722 BC, the Assyrian Empire overtook the northern kingdoms, those 10 tribes that defected. And what the Assyrians did as part of their strategy for dominating and overtaking a nation is that they would displace people. They would take them from their uh, nation and take them and put them in another country. And then they would bring people from that country and put them into this country. And what they were doing is they were causing people to lose their national identity. Satan is still up to that today. What Satan does is if he can rob you of your identity, then you don't know who you are. Then you go for anything. You'll buy anything that somebody is selling. And so what we have to understand is we got to understand who we are as sons and daughters of God. That's why we have a identity crisis in our nation today because people don't know who they are. They've lost their identity, so they buy anything. They buy into that. They can become anything. You can transition to anything. You don't, they don't know who they are. But when you know who you are in Christ, then you have a clear identification description of who we are in the Word of God. So we don't have to battle with this. I don't know who I am, or I'm this or I'm that, and we're this one day and something else the next day. No, we know who we are, sons and daughters of God. But what happened is when uh, Assyria would take these people and transition them in and replant them into Israel and do the same thing. Well, then they started repopulating. And this became the norm for generations that followed. And in the southern part, in Judah, they, they didn't have this problem of transplant uh, and, and uh, an immigration issue. So th- this became the contention. Judah was considered to be 100% Jews. They considered themselves pure. The 10 kingdoms, uh, northern tribes, they were biracial. Let's call it that. And, And so because of that, they would not, Judah would not do business with Israel. Uh, they wouldn't, 
travel through. In fact, they wouldn't even go through the city of Samaria. It's, it's not uncommon to what we have today because there are people in Fort Worth that just don't like you people in Dallas. You know that, right? They just don't like you. And some of them, some of them won't do. They won't even drive through the city of Dallas. No, they'll drive around. They'll go all the way around. And there are some people here in Dallas, you don't like the people in Fort Worth. <laughs> We're just like the people in Israel and Judah. No different. It's like, it's like the, the difference between Plano West and Plano East. Oh, yeah, yeah. So y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Y'all know, enough said. That's what was going on then. That's what's going on now. It hasn't changed. And uh, we... <laughs> Are we, are we going to start talking Texas and Oklahoma? Is that what we're going to do? We got a lot of Okies in the house. How many from Oklahoma are you just like, oh yeah, see, I got a lot of Oklahoma people here. We won't go there, okay? So here's what happens. Uh, Jesus meets with this woman because verse four, we read, and I had you uh, slow down on that verse number four. Jesus had to go through Samaria, which was not normal. But he had to because he was breaking this ethnic barrier. He wanted to meet with this woman to help her let go of her past. But there's another barrier, another rule that he broke, and that is the gender barrier. It was not common for men to speak with women, especially publicly at that time. So Jesus jumps way over this barrier. He initiates this conversation with this woman. And in ancient culture, women didn't have the same status as men. Uh, they couldn't even testify in court. So they didn't have the same standing culturally. But Jesus comes along and he changes all of that. I mean, he starts uh, discipling. It's, women could become disciples of Jesus. So the Christian faith took uh, women who had no standing culturally and presents them as uh, equals in the sight of God and in the sight of people. We read that in Galatians 3 verse 26 it says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. So Jesus changes all of this. In fact, politicians can talk about the war on women all they want. Nobody's done more for the cause of women than Jesus and Christianity. So he breaks this gender barrier, breaks this ethnic barrier, and then he also breaks the social barrier. He breaks the social barrier because it was, uh, it was the sixth hour. Now that was noon because first hour would have begun at daybreak. So at noon, this woman is there drawing water from the well. Now, this was an odd time to be drawing water from the well. Women at that point and that time, their job primarily was to do the, uh, not primarily, but the drawing of water from the well was primarily the woman's work. And because it was hot, we understand this here in Texas, you don't ordinarily mow your lawn in the heat of the summer at noon. You just don't do that. You would do that early in the morning. You'd do that later in the evening when it's cooler. So this was an odd time for a woman to be drawing water from the well. But the reason she was doing that is because she had a troubled past. So she was forced to come at the hottest time of the day because she was forced to live in obscurity as a woman who had some issues. And Jesus comes to her at that point. And he blows her mind by initiating this conversation and says, can I have something to drink? 
And too many of us, I think, we live with these barriers around our lives and in our minds thinking that the way things have always been is the way things will always be. And that's just not true. We got to stop using what has happened in the past to determine what's going to happen to us in the future. The woman doesn't realize it, but she's getting ready to have her life completely changed. So what Jesus does is he comes up and he doesn't bash her. He doesn't demean her. He doesn't knock her down. He's not putting her down for being a Samaritan. No, he's, he just begins to help her deal with, uh, with her present reality. And he begins to speak words of encouragement which is a lesson that I hope all of us can learn because we live in an encouragement depleted society. There's just not enough encouragement going on. Things you hear on TV, discouraging, sarcastic. Uh, it's just, it's all put down. We could separate ourselves from the crowd at work, at school, at church, uh, in your communities, just by becoming encouragers. So he's encourager. Uh, and every single one of us need to be willing to step into that. But look at the next verse in chapter four, verse number 10, this next passage. Jesus answered her and says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I mean, she's, she's willing, but she doesn't completely understand. So he changes the subject on her here and says, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband. She replied, Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Now notice Jesus is breaking rules to break us free from the past. How does he do it? First of all, we've got to be willing to let it go of the past. And then second, we need to receive the hard truth. We've got to receive the hard truth. We've got to be willing to face that hard truth and receive it. Notice how masterful Jesus was in this conversation. He comes up to this woman. She's at the well. It's the middle of the day. No doubt she's thirsty. So he starts talking to her about water. Give me a drink. You drink from the water I will give you. It'll spring up in you a well of eternal living water. He's, he's making a connection here. His conversation with Nicodemus was completely different. He talked about being born again, born of the spirit, born of blood. He talks about uh, uh, spiritual things, completely different. Jesus had a way of using present day circumstances to relate to people. When he, he knew that there were farmers, well, you know, the kingdom of God, it's like a seed. He talked about birds. He, he, was, he, what, he didn't try to talk over people's head. He just came down to right where they were. That's one of the things that we could learn from. Realize that when you're talking to people about Jesus, you don't have to know all of the eschatology and pneumatology and all the theology. You don't have to know all that. Just tell people what Jesus had done in your life. What's he done to you? What difference did he make in you? And if you start telling people what he did for you, they're going to say, well, if God can do that for you, maybe he can do that for me. 
So he starts using this subject of water and uh, then says to her, now go call your husband. It could have been a little insulting, a little off-putting, but he recognizes that this woman can't now move on with life. She can't move forward until she recognizes the hard truth of her sin. And he wasn't trying to bash her. He was lovingly confronting her. And I think sometimes we get this wrong. If we really love people, there are times we're going to lovingly confront them. You can't be afraid to confront. Now, don't, you're not, I'm talking, there's a difference between confronting people with the hard truth and then putting people down and making people feel worse of themselves. There's a difference here. We got to recognize that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Jesus has come. He doesn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. And so we have to face this hard truth. And sometimes I think we try to make excuses and we divert from the real truth. But the reality is every single one of us need a savior. I mean, the perfect uh, example of this is, is our children. No matter how loving, how precious, what kind of little angels they are. Every single one of them at one time or another got caught in that proverbial cookie jar, you know, their hands in that cookie jar. They got the crumbs all over their face and their, their fingers are smeared with chocolate chips and the fingerprints are all over the cookie jar. And you ask them, did they eat the cookie? And they can't even spell their name. They can't even hardly pronounce their name, but they will look at you straight in the eyeball and without flinching say, no, I did not eat that and you thinking, what kind of devil has gotten hold of my child? It's called sin. It's called sin. We're born into this sin nature. That's why we need a savior. And every single one of us have to accept the hard truth that we're all sinners in need of a savior. But yet I love what Don Jones said at our meal covenant uh, service on Thursday night is that we don't need to identify ourselves as the sinner saved by grace, because what happens whenever we accept Jesus Christ, we get a brand new identity. Now we are sons and daughters of God, right? We're changed because of what Jesus has done. But here's another thing. Jesus wants this woman to understand. He brings up her relationships. Well, why did he do that? Was he trying to bring out the bad in her? No, no, no. What Jesus was wanting to do is help her understand that what she had been looking for in relationships and continue to come up empty and then jump from one husband to the next, she had to stop that. Because what she was doing is she was expecting relationships to fill the void in her life. She was expecting the next husband to complete her. And what happened was when she found out that that wasn't working because only Jesus completes you. Here's what happens. Here's the mistake that too many husbands and wives make. We think that our husband or our wife is going to complete us. And then when we realize they don't complete us, what do we do? We crucify them just like they did Jesus. Oh, you, 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 you're not even accepting that. You're acting like that's not for me. That's for somebody else. It's what we do. We put this high expectation on our husband, or wife to be Jesus in our lives. Jesus is the one who completes you. You know what this woman was doing? She was looking for value. She was looking for acceptance. She was looking for, uh, 
some type of fulfillment in a relationship. No, don't put that pressure on your spouse. They will never live up to it. That's what Jesus does. Know who you are. Find your identity in Jesus, not in being Mr. or Mrs. anybody. You say, well, what's marriage for then? Great question. We'll talk about that next week at (laughs) Better Marriage Sunday. You better come back. Let's look at this last passage in John chapter 4, verse number 20. Musicians, come back, please. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. His worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, and this is really interesting here. She says, I know that Messiah, I know that the Christ is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. In other words, he's going to explain the difference on whose mountain we should worship on. And I'll explain that in just a second. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I'm he. Can you imagine what that woman thought? I'm sure there was a lot of disbelief. That was a big pill to swallow. Whoa. She believed in the Messiah. She believed the Messiah was coming. And then Jesus says, that's me. I'm the one. And she starts putting little things together. Oh, water of life, eternal life. He's definitely a prophet because he told me about my, my past. Could this be him? Just then, the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, she probably dropped it. The woman went back to town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Listen, you want to break free from your past? You want to let go of the things that have been holding you back and step into the very best that God has for you? Then you got to be able to let go. You got to choose to let go of it. You've got to accept the hard truth. And then number three, but just before I get to number three, I want to draw your attention to this last verse, number 30 again. It says, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. They made their way toward him. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are making your way toward Jesus today? You say, I I came to church. What else do you want? You really want to know? Because I want more than church attendance. Jesus wants more than church attendance. He doesn't just want you in the seat. He wants your heart. He wants every part of you. Are you making your way toward him? Are you making your way toward him? If not, it could be because you're still hanging on some stuff in the past, still struggling with some hangups, still struggling with some difficulties from the past. You got to let go of the past, face the hard truth. You need Jesus today. 
And then number three, you got to be willing to embrace God's plan. God's plan, because God has a much better plan for you than you could ever imagine. Now, this woman, whenever Jesus spoke to this woman, she says, whoa, 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 you know, we Samaritans, we worship on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. You, you, you Jews, you worship in Jerusalem. When the Messiah comes, he's going to straighten all this out. And Jesus said, Look, I'm he. But he answers her questions. He said, you know, we're going to worship in Jerusalem. That's, that's where you should worship. But he said, a time is coming and has now come. This is the time that we're not going to worship on this mountain or this mountain. That's not the important thing. True worshipers worship him in spirit and in truth. What does that mean to us? You know what it means to us? There's a time coming and the time is now. When we as followers of Christ today, we shouldn't have to be propped up by a worship service to worship him. We shouldn't be propped up by songs and music and lights and, and haze and, and everything else. True worshipers worship him in spirit and truth. What does that mean? Worship comes from here, not from these four walls. Worship comes from our heart out of appreciation for what Jesus has done in us, what he's done for us and what he's going to do for us. We, we should be worshiping him, not just here inside these four walls and I put on my worship for the week and now I can get on back to real life. No, true worshipers will be worshiping him when you go to lunch today. When you stop and you get your meal, you're going to stop and say, hold on before anybody eats. We're going to give thanks. We're going to worship the Lord for provision. He's provided this meal for us, so we're going to thank him for it. So what will people around think? They'll think there are some worshipers still out there. You're going to go to work tomorrow, and true worshipers will be worshiping him on the way to work. Come on, we're going to need some worshiping when you get on those highways, right? When you get on the freeways, you're going to need to be worshiping. Because I know, I know what I battle with out there. And I need to be worshiping him. He's looking for people that will worship him when things are going great. And people that are going to worship him when things are not going so great at all. True worshipers. We appreciate all the formalism of everything we have here. But we're not bound by this. We don't need this mountain. And we don't need any one of these mountains called churches up and down this street. True worshipers worship him because Jesus has changed our lives and we are so grateful for it. And that's what he's looking for. He's looking for true worshipers today. Is that you? Is that you? Or do you have to be here to hear a song and you have to have the communion cup in your hand? I mean, thank God for all of that. Thank God for formalism. Thank God for liturgy. Thank God for uh, all of our sacraments and for everything. But we shouldn't be limited by that. That should just be a starting point. And then look what happened. John 4, 39 said, Many of the Samaritans of the city believed in Jesus because of the word of the woman who testified. You know what I believe? I believe that there are a lot of people that are here in this room, maybe listening online. You may hear this later. And you've been afraid to tell somebody about Jesus because of a troubled past. 
And for some reason or other, the enemy has got inside of your head and told you, you're not good enough to tell people about Jesus. Or what if you tell people about Jesus and they know what you've done in the past? Oh, I've dealt with that one. What about this woman? She obviously had a troubled past, but it didn't stop her from telling people about Jesus. And you know what people did? They moved toward Jesus when they heard this woman's testimony. And that's exactly what will happen with you. If you start telling people about Jesus, they'll move towards Jesus. Quit making yourself so important. It's not about us. And man, I know it's not about us being important, but sometimes we, we think, oh, my flaws are so big and my mistakes are so great and I've just messed up so royally that that's all people are going to see. No, no, you tell people about Jesus and his light will shine brighter than your mistakes. His light will shine brighter than your flaws. Keep lifting up the name of Jesus. Keep telling people what Jesus has done. Let me, let me tell you, I, I'm, I'm far from perfect. Never lived this perfect life growing up. But the summer before my senior year in high school, I made a radical decision to give Jesus everything. It changed the way I did life. It changed the friends that I hung out with. It changed where I went parties and events I went to and what I did, it just changed everything. It changed my social standing. But it was a right decision. I did everything I could to try to make up for lost time telling people about Jesus and being a, a, a bold witness for my Lord. I graduated from high school, had a few uh, souls, a few friends that I'd won to the Lord. That was great. I, but I still, I felt like I'd missed some great years, some great opportunity. 20 years later, 20 years later, I was invited back to my 20 year high school reunion and was asked by this planning committee to MC the event. So after the, the football game, we went to the a hotel ballroom that they had rented out and I was emceeing the event and they asked me, believe it or not, they, they asked me to some time in this evening share Christ, what Christ had done in my life. And I thought, you got to be kidding. I went to Waxahachie High School, public high school. They asked me to share what Jesus had done in my life. I thought, this is amazing. But I didn't know how exactly to do it. I didn't want to be the guy that just got up there and preached a little sermon. I didn't want to turn people off. And, and the fact is, I feel like God gave me a plan. The same way Jesus used certain things to connect with certain people, to be able to get a message across. Well, we were, we were recognizing students that had come from the furthest distance and they got an award. Students that... Uh, I you know, had the most kids. They got an award. Uh, some that had some civic accomplishments, they got an award. Or some that were, you know, had some professional accomplishments, they got an award. But then we had a moment where we were recognizing 
our classmates that had died and those that were no longer with us. This is 20 years after high school, so I'm like 38 years old. Is that right? Yeah, 38 years old around that time. Too young to lose too many. But there were half a dozen that were not with us. Some had been lost in car accidents. A couple had died from cancer. Some from other tragic events. But they were not with us. I felt like God said, this is your chance. And I simply said, wouldn't it be great to have all of our friends who we've just recognized and named, those who have passed, with us at this reunion? Yes, yes. I said, do you know there is a reunion that we could all be together again at? Would you all like to be there? Yeah, yeah. Would you like to see our friends again? Yes. And I thought there's only one way to see them again. Because if they're not in heaven, they certainly, you won't see them again. But if they're in heaven, there's a chance. I said, there's only one way, one chance we have to be able to see them and have one more reunion together. Would you like to be there? And they're, yes, yes. I said, then we got to make sure we're all ready to go to heaven. And there's only one way to get to heaven. That's through Jesus Christ. 